Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to week number three of Dirty Bible Words as we talk today about doctrine. On the bookshelves in my office, there's a bunch of books whose titles recently got my attention. Like this book called A Summary of Christian Doctrine. Uh, or this green book called Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1. Uh, Dogmatics, the study of Christian dogma. Or this one, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 2. Or, just in case two volumes wasn't enough, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 3. And for those of you who got good grades in school, Volume 4 of Christian Dogmatics. <laughs> Hundreds, if not thousands of pages talking about dogma and doctrine. Now, this is super fascinating to me because part of my work is to write books. And I've learned over the years that by far the hardest and most important thing to do is to pick the right title for the book that you wrote. There's a billion books that you can buy online at your local bookstore. If the title doesn't jump off the page and seem like something interesting and relevant to you, you'll skip the book and find a different book. And that's why this is so interesting to me. Apparently, when these books were published decades, if not over a century ago, the publishers and the authors were not worried that words like doctrine or dogma or dogmatics would scare away potential readers. I think we could publish the same books today. I think if they put it at the special display stand at your favorite local bookstore, <laughs> they'd sell a lot of copies. Ah, you no, know, there's something about living in this time and place here in 2020s America that doctrine is not such a good word to us. In fact, the other day I typed doctrine into a Google search, and one of the first images that popped up was one of those word clouds that shows associated words. And right next to the word doctrine were other terms like indoctrination, propaganda, and brainwashing. Can you imagine if we did some church outreach with such words? Come, come on Sunday, we'll indoctrinate you. <laughs> Interested in being brainwashed? We have some propaganda just waiting for you to <laughs> You come to it. No, I mean, that seems like restrictive. It seems old fashioned, bigoted, judgmental. Don't ask questions. Close your mind. I will indoctrinate you with the doctrine and dogma of the Christian faith. It seems like a dirty word that's best for us to ignore. But before we throw out these books and before you wash my mouth out with soap, um, I want to slow down for just a second and think for a, a second about the word doctrine. Do you know what the word doctrine at its very heart means? If you're taking notes here in church or you're doing so at home, uh, grab a pen, write this down. This is a very simple dictionary definition of the word doctrine. A doctrine is simply a set of beliefs. Ooh. (laughs) So if you believe certain things, which we all do, you have doctrine. If there are certain convictions that you hold that not everyone in the world holds, you are a doctrinal person. Somehow, somewhere, you were indoctrinated with a certain list of ways to think. And so doctrine isn't the problem. You have doctrine, I have doctrine, we all have doctrine. There's things that we all believe. In fact, I bet that you believe your doctrine so passionately, when you find someone who doesn't agree with your doctrine, you try to indoctrinate them. You try to put your doctrine in them. That's what indoctrinate means. Right, so let's say you have a relative who's just you know, a little bit racist and 
says some discriminatory joke. If you say, hold up, Grandpa, and you try to explain why that's not okay and that he should change the way that he speaks, the way he thinks, literally, according to the dictionary, you are trying to put your doctrine, your set of beliefs about race and ethnicity inside of him. You're trying to indoctrinate someone else. And I think you'd agree with me that's not a bad thing. That's actually the right thing to do. So before we burn the books and get rid of the word, we should realize doctrine isn't the problem. Indoctrinating people isn't the problem. The real question is this. What is your doctrine? And did your doctrine come from a trustworthy source? Like whether it was your parents or your pastor or your priest or the internet or a TikTok influencer or a college professor, someone indoctrinated you. Someone said something that shaped the way that you believe. My question for you is, what exactly is the doctrine you currently hold to? And are you sure that doctrine came from a trustworthy source? Like some of you believe that life begins at conception. I would say, did you get that from a trustworthy source? Some of you believe it's a woman's body and a woman's choice. That's your doctrine. Where did you get that from? Some people believe it's very important to go to a church and be part of an organized religion week after week after week. Okay? Well, where'd you get that from? Some people say, I don't need a religion. I just want a relationship with God. You've heard that before. Okay, well, where did that come from? Some people say that love is love and you should follow your heart. Many people do. Where did that come from? And some people say, no, God is love and you should follow his word. Well, where did that come from? You could pick any issue. It could be gender, sexuality, organized religion, heaven, hell, the Bible, parenting, race, ethnicity. My question for you is, if I gave you some time and you could write down your personal doctrine, are you sure that that all came from a trustworthy source? Because here's the thing you agree with, even if you've never thought about it. You know that people can be wrong. Your parents might have taught you your doctrine, but has there ever been a parent on planet Earth who's been wrong? All the kids are nodding their heads right now. Right? Maybe you were taught it as a kid in a church. Have pastors ever been wrong? For sure. Has culture ever been wrong with the majority views, the stuff that everyone says and repeats? Can you think of a time in history where that was not good doctrine? You can. So I'm going to push you a little bit today, not to dismiss the topic of doctrine, but to think a little bit more critically. Yeah, what do I believe and why do I believe it? What is my set of beliefs and where did that come from? Can I be sure that where I stand is where God stands? It's a really great passage in the book of 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul said this to his close friend. Watch your life and doctrine closely. I mean, so much of your life, your choices, your thoughts, your behaviors come out of the doctrine that you believe in your heart. So Paul says here, watch it closely. Think critically about what you believe and why you believe it. That's really my goal with you today. I want you to think about your doctrine. And I want all of us to make sure that doctrine comes from a good spot, the most trustworthy spot, from a God that we can trust. So we're going to tackle just a couple passages today. And the first one comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a pastor named Titus. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul was talking about the qualifications to be a good pastor, and here's what he wrote. He, 
speaking of the pastor, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So a pastor must, this is like a given, he must have, you see it there, sound doctrine. So doctrine, as I said, is a set of beliefs. The word sound in the original Greek language that Paul used literally means healthy. So sound doctrine is a set of beliefs that is healthy for your soul. The God who created you, the God who made you, the God who knows what's best for your soul, if he says this is good, this is healthy, that's sound doctrine. Well, where do you find sound doctrine? Paul hints at it here when he talks about the, quote, trustworthy message. Um, essentially, to keep it simple today, Paul's talking about this book. This book, the Bible, isn't something that Paul invented. It's not something that our church came up with. This comes from a God that we can trust. He inspired it, every word, every chapter, every book. Now, this is the weak, weakest part of this message. If you don't believe that just yet, you're like, no, I, I think the Bible's just another book that a bunch of people wrote. Um, like, check your, the box in your communication card. I, I wish I had more time to explain why we believe the Bible is much more than that. This came from God. But for the sake of time today, let's just assume what Paul's assuming, that the trustworthy message is the Bible, which is the message that God gave us. And because God's the same God who doesn't change, he doesn't need to be taught anything, he loves us and he's God of truth, it's therefore a trustworthy message. Pastor must hold firmly to that trustworthy message. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be edited. You don't have to pick and choose. You just are taught it and you hold on like this to it. I kind of think of good ministry and good Christianity like a running back in the Super Bowl. It's the fourth quarter, team's up by two, clock's ticking down, and the coach calls, I'm giving you the ball. And when that running back gets the ball and he's so close to hoisting the Super Bowl trophy, what he does not need to do is get fancy, right? This isn't the time where we need you to call the audible and show us that sweet spin move that you do. What we need you to do is hold firmly to the ball, right? Because if you hold on to that ball, we're going to win. And that's what Paul says to me and you. If someone has given you the trustworthy message, if you've been indoctrinated with the scriptures, then you must hold firmly to it, just as it has been taught. If mom was faithful to the Bible, just believe what mom believed. If grandpa was a solid Bible-believing man, follow in grandpa's footsteps. Be like Paul, be like John, be like Matthew, be like those faithful saints who have held this book strongly. You don't need to get cute. doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need to be super creative. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message because here's the payoff. If you do, Paul says, then you can encourage others by sound doctrine. If you and I are not just sharing opinions, but we're holding firmly to the word of God, what we get to do in our conversations is encourage each other with the truth. We have to flatter each other with human opinions. We have to check the internet to see what people are saying these days. When you and I speak to each other, if we've held firmly to the word, we can encourage each other with the word of God. Now, it struck me that when you reach out to your pastors or to your church for help, 
you probably don't think of it this way when you're struggling or you're scared or you're anxious or your marriage is falling apart. When it could be cancer, when you're dying, when you're dealing with anxiety. You never say this, but here's what I think you're saying when you reach out to the church. Indoctrinate me. Like There's something that I'm believing, that I'm thinking in my heart, and it's not giving me peace or joy. It's freaking me out. It's making me scared. I feel so ashamed. Pastor, I'm reaching out because I need a new doctrine. I need a new set of things to believe. And if you have studied this book, held on to it firmly, indoctrinate me, put a new set of beliefs in me that can push out the fear, push out the shame, push out the anxiety, and replace it with the things that God wants me to think and feel. I mean, I've never gotten an email from one of you with the subject line, indoctrination. (laughs) It normally just says, help, or can we talk? But I think that's what you want. Like maybe you're one of the many people at our church who struggles with anxiety. You know, those what-if questions just keep you up at night. If this happens, and if that happens, and you're freaking out, what you need is a good doctrine about a big God who loves even his anxious kids, a God who promises that you're in the palm of his hand and no one's going to snatch you out of it, a God who's in control of the universe and whatever happens, he's in absolute control and he always is working for the good of his church. You need the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Those old teachings in these old books are so practical. A big God who runs the universe. You need the story of Joseph and his brothers where God was working everything out for the good. You need the story of Jesus and the cross where it seemed like evil was winning, but Jesus, the Father, had a plan the whole time. You need good doctrine. Let's say you're dating someone, you're married, and there's Relational conflict. Do you know why couples fight? Bad doctrine. Somehow one or both of them gets this idea in their heart that I only have to be nice if you're nice to me. Terrible doctrine. Conditional love. It's so easy to believe, it's even easier to behave that way. When a couple comes in, what what they really need is the authoritative word of God that says, hey, I'm sorry she hasn't been more respectful, but your call is to love her. Your father is, I'm not saying this to you, your God is saying to you, love her even now. Didn't he love you first when you weren't being so great? I need to say to a wife, hey, I'm I'm sorry. I wish he was a better husband. But getting back at him and and keeping score and getting in those digs, that's not helping. It's hurting. Respect. Love. What saves relationships? What resurrects a broken marriage. Good doctrine. Or you get cancer. And you're freaking out because you're, you're not sure if you're going to make it to heaven, if this is it. What's happened in your heart? Heresy. You picked up this idea from the world that, you know, good people go to heaven, which is so toxic. Because you're always left wondering, well, how good is good enough? And you come in because you're scared and you're rattled. What what do you need? You need the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of salvation. Fancy words like soteriology and Christology, the teaching of Christ and his saving work, that he died on the cross, not for a couple of sins or for a couple of people, but for all the sins and all the people. I'm, I'm trying to indoctrinate you with the gospel. And when I think about it that way, what saves marriages? Sound doctrine. 
What gives people peace in the face of death? Sound doctrine. How do anxious people cope? They remember the sound doctrines that come from the scriptures. Can you imagine if you reached out to the pastor and you pour out your heart, I'm scared, I'm dying, I'm ashamed for what I did, and I just Googled it and said, 47% of Americans think. <laughs> what? You'd be like, okay, well, why am I here? Like, you need something bigger than the opinion of Americans. And you need something better than the opinion of a pastor. You need someone who has held so firmly to this message, who can open to the right page, the right chapter, the right verse, and they can preach to you sound doctrine. A dirty word? No way. It's a word that saves souls. So here's my shocking message for you today. You probably wouldn't have believed this. The Bible is good. (laughs) You and I need... The Bible. When we have the Bible tightly held in our hands, more than just our own feelings or opinions, we can, as Paul so beautifully says, encourage others by sound doctrine. So, write this down. What's a good definition for sound doctrine? This beautiful word, I define it this way. The unchanging, encouraging Bible. If your set of beliefs comes from this unchanging, encouraging Bible, you know that you have sound doctrine, you have something in your heart that is good for your soul. So, in summary, more Bible. Come to church for the Bible. At home, grab a Bible. Parents, indoctrinate your children with the Bible. Indoctrinate yourself with the Bible. Come to your pastors and your congregation to get more Bible because sound doctrine is unchanging yet so encouraging for our soul. Simple. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, it's not so simple. Um, some of you know that in a couple of weeks, my family and I are going on a camping trip. Uh, most people who have heard about it are convinced we won't make it past the first night because we've never camped, but we're going to try. <laughs> so I've been researching for months on you know, getting all the gear, trying to survive the bears and the bugs and all the things that happen when you're camping. So I'm a, I'm a research addict. I've been to all the websites and all the gear, all the prices, all the blogs, all the stuff that I want. And I was looking and looking and looking and looking until one day, I find this website with insanely good deals on camping stuff. Like the really nice REI sleeping bag that I wanted to get, I found it not for like 20% off or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, but 70% off the price. And I clicked add to cart. I type in the information as fast as I can before someone else buys it. Boom, 70% off the best sleeping bag that I couldn't wait to get. And I'm looking at this website. I'm telling my wife, you gotta check this out. The camping mats and the camping stove and all the camping gear I wanted to get like crazy clearance prices. So I'm clicking, add to cart, add to cart, add to cart. Click, 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 click. And I'm about to insert my credit card information for the second time when my wife says, well, hold up. And I look over from my laptop. She's on the couch with her phone. And she has that look on her face, which makes me think something is very wrong. <laughs> and she, she says, I, I don't know if this website is real. And I look back, this time I'm watching closely, and I notice, oh yeah, that, that logo there looks a little bit out of place. And I scroll down to the bottom of the website, and I start to see some grammar errors and some English words that are spelled wrong, and I'm thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> what do you know, a couple days later, boom, email comes to my inbox, thank you for your order, 
I think the word order was spelled wrong. <laughs> just butchered English. And then there's a big link, and it just says, click this link as many times as you can. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, this isn't good. So I'm watching my, my bank account, right? And nothing happens, and nothing happens until about four weeks after the purchase. Ding! A charge on my iTunes account from Singapore. I don't live in Singapore. <laughs> ding! A second charge. Ding! A third. Ding, 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 ding. Ten charges. Ding, 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 ding. Sixteen separate charges from Singapore on my card. I thought, no. So I got to call the bank, and I got to cancel the card, and I got to figure out all my bills that are auto-paid to that card, and I got to get a new credit card, and I got to reset up all the auto-pays. And I will tell you what, to this day, my friends from Singapore have not sent me that sleeping bag. <laughs> what happened? You got scammed, Bess. I know I got scammed. How did I get I know about fake websites. I know that these things happen. I have to take training at work to make sure I don't click on links and give information to fraudulent people. How did that happen to me? The answer is very simple, and it's actually very spiritual. The simple answer is, they offered me something I really wanted. So I stopped watching. I could have seen the red flags, but I, I saw that sleeping bag. It's such a crazy, I wanted it so much. I wanted the good thing at a cheaper price. I didn't want it to cost me as much. And when someone offered me something I wanted that much, I stopped watching and I started believing it, a doctrine that wasn't true. Now, that is a huge parable for your spiritual life. Why don't people just believe what's in the Bible? Why don't they hold on to it firmly? Why won't they listen to it? Why would false teachers, things that aren't accurate, or orthodox Christianity, why would so many people believe it? Simple. Because they offer you something that you want. The Apostle Paul, just before he died, he's in prison He's about to be martyred for the Christian faith. He writes this last letter called 2 Timothy. And in the very last chapter, some of the final words we have from the Apostle Paul, look what he says. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, don't miss this, to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You ever had an itch before? Just more than anything, I want to scratch it. Paul says here that the difficulty of the Bible, of sound doctrine, is that our ears are itching for something that we want. Paul explains that here. Something that, quote, suits their own desires. And apparently that itch is so strong and apparently people's desire to be liked is so strong that Paul says, quote, there will be a great number of teachers who will say exactly that. Their websites, their books, their podcasts, their TikToks, and their shows will try to offer you a God, a Jesus, a Christianity at 70% off. It won't cost you as much. It won't be as difficult you know, it hit me the other day. All these things that we say in modern American culture, am I right or am I not? At the very heart of it, 
is just a doctrine that suits your desires. The Bible is so clear that God is God, that he knows best, that his word is truth. Jesus called everyone to repent and to follow him. And yet, what do we hear in our culture every single day? And we hear stuff like my truth or or your truth. But Jesus talked a ton about truth. He said the, the truth, the truth, God's truth, his truth will set you free. So what really is my truth or your truth? Here's what it is. It says that whatever I desire, whatever you desire, we can follow it because the thing to be followed is within us and not outside of us in the book. Or people say things like, be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Live authentically. Don't don't repress your innate desires. What is that? I mean, the Bible says constantly be something, be like Jesus, be a disciple, be a follower, be godly, be biblical, be holy, the Bible says. So where do we get be you? Well, if you can be you, I guess you can follow your own desires. Or this phrase we use all the time, who am I to judge? Who are you to judge? Didn't Jesus say you people shouldn't judge? which fires me up, to be honest, because it's the most hypocritical thing anyone can say. Everyone is judging all the time. If you think racists and child abusers are bad, you're a judgmental person, and that's good. So why do we throw up these walls? Who are you to judge? You shouldn't judge. Well, basically says, well, I'm following my own desires. Don't you dare say a word about it. Who are you to impose something on me because I'm living my truth and following my heart? Or how about this one that happens in the church all the time? Well, I'm right. It's true. That's what the Bible says. Well, the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 13 that you might be 100% right. You might be able to prove it with a chapter and a verse. But if you're not a loving person, you know, if you're right about that lifestyle or, or that issue or whatever, but you're not kind or patient or gentle, if you're easily angered, Selfish, blown. It, it, God does not care if you're right. He cares if you're righteous. So why do people, especially conservative Christian people, repeat this false doctrine to ourselves? Well, it's true. It's just more convenient if I don't have to be nice to you. If I can put you on blast. If I can degrade you and write some snarky thing in the comments and not listen and not learn and not try to persuade another group of people. And Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago, but they are so, so relevant. People will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers just to say what their itching ears want to hear. Friends, don't make my mistake. Don't click that link. There are many people out there who will say exactly what you want them to say. They will try to make religion not about God, but about you. They'll try to make church not about God, but about you. They'll try to make the Bible not about Jesus, but about you. But here's the thing. It's not about you. 
When you walked into church today, our ushers didn't take a survey to see what you wanted to hear. The job is not to conform Jesus into your image. The job is to conform you into Jesus' image. The Bible is the cookie cutter that shapes the dough. The cookie cutter isn't made of you to reshape the Bible. And here's why that's such an important thing. If it's all about you at the end of the day, all you got is you. You could live your truth, follow your heart, not let anyone judge you. And when you fall asleep at night, guess what? It's, it's just you. But if you have a religion, a faith, that's not about you, but it's about God, his kingdom, his name, and his will, then, then there is a God who can help you, a God who will forgive you, a God who will save you. I pray that you believe the thing your soul was created for, sound doctrine, doctrine that comes out of this book, because if you have it, you have Jesus. You have a Jesus who loved you when you didn't deserve it. You have a Jesus who shed his blood for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. You have a God who doesn't say that good people go to heaven, but people believe in God's Son go to heaven. You have the assurance that you're going to conquer death. You can know that God's face is smiling upon you. If you haven't invented this, you don't have to guess or wonder. You can fall asleep with the peace and joy of the Scriptures because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And his word is true. My friends, all of us have doctrine. All of us believe something. I pray that your something comes from the source, from the book that challenges me and challenges you, the book that tells me to change certain things about my life, just like it says to yours. But at the end of every day, like a good father, sound doctrine will discipline us and then save us. It will help us and then comfort us. And I pray that you resist the itch. You don't follow your heart. You don't live your truth. Instead, you come to Jesus to find the truth that will set you free. At the seminary that I attended uh, many years ago, at the chapel where future pastors worship every single day, there's a big sign in the Greek language above the doors of the chapel. I'll show you a picture. Just three Greek words, kerixata ta oyangelion. And if that's Greek to you, no, no, sorry, that was bad. I'm not, <laughs> you deserve better than that. Let me translate. Kerixata. It's a quote from Jesus, Mark chapter 16. It just means Preach. There's a word used in ancient kingdoms from the Carix, the herald. He would go to the throne of the king where a word was spoken with authority. He would listen, hold tightly to it, and relay it to the citizens of the kingdom. To preach was not to share an opinion, a thought, or a feeling. It was to say something with authority. It wasn't, here's what I think, what do you think? It was this, preaching down at people what's true to hearts that are often not. The Bible says to pastors like me to preach. I'm not here just to teach or to suggest I'm here to preach to you an authoritative word, and I pray that it changes you. But preach what? It's my favorite part. Kerixatata oyangelion means preach the gospel. The good news about Jesus. The Jesus who loved people who were struggling. The Jesus who met parents who were scared for their children. 
The Jesus who saw people that had made mistakes, what did he do? He preached the goodness of forgiveness. He reached out to prostitutes and tax collectors, broken people, people who talk too much, uptight, wound Pharisees. He preached good news. He called them to repentance and he gave them the full forgiveness of sins. When you and I get together in this space, my job is to spend all weeks holding so tightly that I can preach to you from the throne of the king the goodness of the gospel. God says to me, Mike, get doctrine into their hearts. Indoctrinate them. Preach at them. Give them Jesus. Give them doctrine. And my prayer is that today I just did. And my prayer is that we always do. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, most of the problems that we walked into church with today are because of a bad doctrine. We've forgotten who you are. We've forgotten how much you know, how powerful you are, and how much love there is in your heart. And so I pray in this moment, in these very words, God, that you would indoctrinate people. For those who are scared, remind them of your power. For those who are embarrassed and ashamed, remind them of your grace. For those who are too controlling, remind them of your plans. For those who feel overwhelmed, remind them that they don't have to be God. They can be still. and know that you are. Um, I pray, God, for thick skin. Uh, I pray that our church would never be driven by the approval of man. I pray that our pastors would never look at the latest survey of our neighborhood and change what is meant to be unchanged. God, it takes courage uh, for pastors and for all people to hold on to the unchanging truth of your word. I pray especially today for the young people among us who are looking to find their place. God, it is so difficult to cling to sound doctrine. Give them courage. I pray for parents to not be naive and to think that they don't need to indoctrinate their own children. God, they're going to be indoctrinated by something. Let it be your son. And I pray that all of us could walk out of here today with a renewed fervor to grab the Bible, read it, study it, understand it, and hold firmly to it. If we do, Father, we'll hear your voice and we'll be encouraged by your love. And so we pray all these things, knowing this doctrine, that if we call upon you in the name of Jesus, you will listen and respond to every prayer. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.